Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. I am flying solo today. Uh, my intrepid co-host Doug is off in a undisclosed location. But we have a lot of interesting stuff to talk about, and uh, to join us and share his perspectives is John Stokes, who is a, the deputy editor with theprepared.com. He's also a founder of Ars Technica and a, a writer, a prolific Twitterer or tweeter. Uh, and uh, has a lot of interesting perspectives on all sorts of different issues that are very relevant for today. So, John, welcome to the program. Thank you. To start off, uh, maybe you could just give us a little bit about your background and you know what it, what it is that you did and do, and you know how it is you got to be where you are now. Yeah. So I um I was in tech for a long time. I was in um, tech media with Ars Technica for. Uh, over a decade, I guess about 15 years. And, you know, we covered a lot of critical infrastructure type stuff, um, you know, electronic trading, but also some supply chain, electronic voting, um, I covered for a long time. And there was a lot of, you know, awareness of fragility of electronic systems, and software systems and stuff. And so, you know, this whole, um, software is eating the world thing you know that's been that's been a beat of mine uh, for most of my career and in a lot of cases when software eats something uh, it changes it and it makes it more fragile and so I got into preparedness um, a little bit through that avenue a little bit just from being raised on the Louisiana Gulf Coast in hurricane country uh, knowing what it's like to uh, bug out uh, for a hurricane, you know, with your possessions crammed into the car. Um, so, so there were a couple of different kind of streams that that led me to my participation in the prepare.com. Yeah, and uh, maybe uh, tell us a little. So, prepare.com is just kind of a a website about. You know, it's got articles about prepping and, uh, you know, all, all different sorts of aspects of it from practical stuff to, you know, more theoretical or commentary type stuff. Yeah. So so there's a there's a, a range of things on there. But, you know, mostly uh, the prepared is about, you know, how to think about preparedness and then which specific things to do and to buy and to learn. Uh, in order to prepare for a range of events. And so we don't really do the classic like doomsday prepping slash survivalist stuff, although there is that is a component. We do get into that material, um, but it's also focused on more uh, practical, like everyday life occurrences. And, you know, we also are always trying to be aware of what's out there and, tailor our advice to what's going on. So we were really early with the pandemic. Uh, we had a, a page, we still have it dedicated to COVID um, in late February, where we projected um, in detail a lot of the things that happened, everything from FedEx and Postal Service slowdowns to 
um, the lockdowns and school being canceled and, you know, all this kind of stuff. I mean, we had a fairly substantial amount of detail um, in terms of what actually ended up happening because we, you know, we pay attention to this stuff and we try and tweak uh, the recommendations for that. And so we spent most of the summer focused on COVID preparedness. Yeah. So I would consider myself uh, maybe a, a soft prepper. Uh, I don't have, I'm not really into it, but I think it's good uh, to, you know, be ready for our low likelihood events. And as you say, the more, fra- the, the more the system gets fragile, the more important it is for you to be robust. Um, but uh, so, you know, obviously, uh, prepping in general, I think, you know, there's a lot of um, stereotypes and other thing, you know, there's kind of like, there's definitely a mystique about it. It may be a little bit of a pejorative, I don't know. But from your perspective, what what's kind of like the basic case for, for uh, preparedness, uh, you know, on, on whatever, on, on whatever level. The way that I put it initially, um, or, or the way that I put it this summer, which resonated now, I don't think so much, but, um, it was sort of flattening the curve for everything. Uh, and, you know, flattening the curve talk has kind of fallen out of favor, I think, and justly so, you know, um, but, there's this idea that you've got a fixed amount of capacity, um, hospital bed capacity, uh, grocery store capacity, electrical grid capacity, um, you know, shipping capacity, whatever it is. And there, sometimes that infrastructure will either be overtaxed due to certain events or the infrastructure will just break, um, you know, spontaneously for some reason. Uh, and, and in that case, or even if people think it's about to break, there's a rush, there's a, de- a spike in the demand for that resource, for hospital beds, for groceries, for toilet paper. And if you're a prepper, it means to take some of that, some of that slack that has been optimized out of the system and to put that on your own balance sheet to say, I'm going to carry toilet paper at my house so that when everyone else is out running to the store to get toilet paper, I don't have to join that mob. Uh, I'm going to have extra food at my house so that when people are clearing the shelves of canned goods, I don't have to go out and join that crowd. You know, that those cans that are on the shelf can go for somebody else because I stocked up early. So <laughs> really, that's that's prepping. You know, we have so much of our modern of our modern system that's optimized. It's just in time inventory. It's just in time delivery. And, you know, this is fragile and prone to disruption. And preppers are, are people who, um, it, when, it, when it's done correctly, are people who are sort of just, maybe, maybe you can also think of it as buying insurance against a breakdown of some critical thing that we all need. I did, you know, one of the interesting things uh, I, I did notice, um, uh, for example, when I was buying a bunch of food last February, um, is, uh, the extent to which a lot of basic stuff actually doesn't cost you anything more. Uh, so for example, you know, if you buy a 20 pound, 20 pound bag of rice that lasts a long time. Uh, and, uh, actually just thinking about how much rice our family normally eats, um, you know, you're just, you're, you're, 
you're buying it up front, but uh, it doesn't actually cost you anything more. It probably costs you a little bit less since you're doing it in bulk. Obviously, there are other things you could do, uh, you know, with uh, depending on how far you wanted to get into it with generators, other things that that would that would be uh, expensive. You know, I, I, it is it is interesting to me that this is not more of a norm. I know that there are some communities like in the LDS community, for example, where it is kind of a norm that you keep, you know, uh, a food reserve and other things uh, in the same way that you would try and keep in your bank account uh, some sort of surplus for emergencies. You know, (laughs) at least in theory, you're not supposed to just be like counting on the uh, the paycheck to hit and you've got like $27 in the bank. Um, That's that's kind of how I think about it. Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and you know, there, there is an element of that where I, I told people this in the beginning of COVID when I was, when it was February and I was advising friends and family, Hey guys, you should stock up. There's going to be a lockdown. We're all going to be stuck at home for at least, I was telling people two weeks. Um, you know, obviously that, uh, <laughs> that, that didn't quite work out, but, um, <laughs> And then it was another two. And then, (laughs) yeah. And I said, you know, I said, start with two weeks. I said, really, at first I said two weeks. Then I started saying, start with two weeks and plan on four. Um, But, but I said, look, you know, I told my sister this, I told everybody this, I said, this is going to feel really weird. You've got to get over a mental hurdle of being a person who goes to Costco and loads up the the yellow or the the orange cart like not the regular cart but the i mean business like orange flat cart you know load that up and get in line and just do it so because you're going to eat the food you know you go to costco and you're going to get a bunch of stuff that you're going to eat anyway and especially for something like this you know you don't have to buy food that's going to last for 30 years you just need to buy food that's going to last for like a month or two um, so if something is going to, is going to perish and, you know, in two months, uh, you can get it at Costco and just plan to eat it. Um, so you're moving that consumption forward into the future. Uh, think about it that way. And, and yeah, if you buy in bulk, you can recoup some of the, um, I guess, time value of money or whatever, um, by moving your consumption forward into the future and, and maybe it nets out, you know, there is an aspect here of, um, of though in some cases, you know, it's more than just something that's going to net out. It, if you're really doing prepping, especially now, it's probably going to cost you a little bit more. Like if you are really focused on trying to make yourself resilient to disruptions in the services and the goods and things that we depend on, you're going to have to be willing to invest. Now, you, you shouldn't go crazy. Um, but it's, it's probably, I probably wouldn't be able to make the case to you that it's going to net out. I mean, if you buy a generator, um, you're really not probably going to get a lot of use out of that generator. It's just going to be kind of a, it's going to tie up capital that you could have put in the market or, um, you know, used in some other way. Right. So what do you, in, in terms of like the, I guess there are kind of levels of disruption and there's also, uh, levels of need. So you know, food, obviously that's a big thing. Um, electricity is another uh, big one. And in some ways a more significant one, potentially, uh, although it's, it's not as, it's more costly to try and protect yourself against that. What other, uh, you know, aside from, 
aside from uh, those, what are some other areas that, that people think about or ought to be thinking about in terms of uh, just infrastructure disruption or other things they would, they would want to plan for? Well, water is, of course, the big one, the biggest one. Um, you really can't go 48 hours without water um, without uh, being in a bad way. So it, people overlook this because everybody takes water for granted and thinks that they will go and they will raid their toilet uh, toilet reservoir or they will raid their hot water heater or you know some other kind of thing. You know this is um, this is not something to sleep on or to take lightly. It's probably if you don't do anything else, water containers are inexpensive. You can get ones that are stackable. Even if you live in uh, space constraints like an apartment, um, you can get stackable water containers that you can turn into into furniture, like uh, put a piece of glass on it and call it a coffee table, you know. Um, but but water is so key. Uh, you you need to take care of, you know, in a, in a situation with a respiratory virus, um, you have to look out for your air supply. And that's going to mean some kind of filtration. And personal protection. I'll tell you in December, um, uh, in December of, of 2019, um, before this stuff, I mean, I think the, uh, we had reported on the cruise ship uh, situation. It was just kind of a weird cruise ship story at the time with COVID um, and rumblings of Wuhan. But uh, this was just not like a thing that was on my radar other than like any any one of a number of other whatevers. And I and the rest of my prepper friends were doing an end of the year thing where we were filling in the holes in our preps because we were actually all worried about unrest around the election. Um, it was our big, the, the, the whole prepping scene, left and right, was worried about election related crazy town. So I went back and I just luckily that has turned out to be completely uh, baseless. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that was that was the dumb thing to worry about. <laughs> so, so I um I I did what all my friends were privately and publicly doing is I went back through my list and if something if I didn't have something I bought it which and in my case was um really nice N95 masks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember paying for these things on Amazon and thinking like, man, you know, it's the Christmas shopping season. I'm buying these dumb masks. Like this is some prepper fantasy business. This is really stupid. And I hope that my wife doesn't get this Amazon box because she's going to open it and be like, why did you buy these N95s? Like, like, have you lost your ever loving mind? And I, I was able to enter, I, re, I remember, I was able to intercept the Amazon box and sneak those masks up to my office and unbox them and stash them and destroy the evidence. Because, yeah, it sounds uh, like this is maybe the fir- not the first time you'd had to do something like that to, uh, uh, you know, pr- 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 keep, keep your wife on a need-to-know basis. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's not. It's not. But, you know, my, my wife is okay. Is she or Actually, she, she's more than okay. She's quite supportive of the prepping, but, you know, kind of all things in moderation and within reason. So in December, early December of, of 2019, buying, you know, boxes of Gucci N95s was not a thing that was within moderation or within reason. Um, uh, until, until it was, and everybody wanted one, you know, and then I pulled these things out and I was quite proud of myself. 
um, I had a little, I had a special moment, a special dad moment uh, when I was able to pull out the stash of, of, of hidden N95s and be like, ta-da. So, <laughs> so, you know, you, you, um, that, that was a long winded uh, sidebar from things that you take for granted, the air that you breathe, the water that you drink, um, that stuff can become imperiled quicker than you think. In Austin, Texas here, speaking of the water, you you were probably around when there was that boil notice for like two weeks because of the floods and everybody was like rushing for water, you know? Yeah, well, there, there were there was two, uh, there's two of them. One of them, uh, there was the boil notice. There was also the, the issue with uh, the, there were some mussels or something that got in there where you could still drink the water, still use it, but it, it smelled disgusting. <laughs> so, yeah. but yeah, both of those are things that, uh, you know, maybe in the grand scheme of things kind of uh mild but it does it does kind of like strike home how much you rely on some of these uh services that that aren't necessarily guaranteed to be there it's true it's true and people just um you know the the thing people have to get over when you are when you are buying a prep like my masks or like stackable water jugs when you're buying that you feel kind of crazy and you have to be able to get over that you got to be able to get over that hump of feeling like you're doing something nuts and irresponsible you got to find a way to talk yourself into being like you know what if something happens and i need water then i need water i'll give you another example uh we had an editor uh, that we hired, um, we had hired her as a freelance and she was very talented. And I was like, man, you know, we need to bring her on the staff. And she was not a prepper. She lived in, in uh, a neighborhood in Minneapolis. And you can probably guess where I'm going with this. Um, yeah, she lived in a neighborhood in Minneapolis was the most not prepper person you've ever met, but she's like, yeah, this is like a weird thing, but they're paying me and I'll, I'll do this crazy gig because I'm a freelancer. And so she was really cool about it. And she wrote, you know, a bunch of pieces for us on supply chain and stuff. And then, of course, one day she needed a go bag and she needed a gas mask for tear gas and a med kit and, you know, all this other kind of stuff. And the she the uh, post office in her neighborhood burned down and there were National Guard troops like going in front of her door. And so it's one of those things where it's crazy until it's not. You know, you've got to just find a way to give yourself permission to buy water, to buy air filtration, to buy food, and to start to lay the basic, you know, foundation and framework for being resilient. Yeah, maybe uh, for some of our listeners, explain the concept of the of the go bag. It's pretty self explanatory, but. Uh... Yeah, um, you you want a bag that has stuff in it that you could use for um, some length of time, typically seventy two hours. Although, you know, it's not it's not great to just tune with a time frame in mind. Um, but you want to have a bag packed that's got the basics where you can survive in the widest range of environments. Um, if you have to grab that bag and run and that's all you've got, this is, uh, less 
um, difficult and complex than it sounds. It's expensive to do it properly. I mean, my go, my go bag, I probably have a couple grand worth of gear in there. Um, you don't have to go that far. Uh, you know, this is sort of my day job and I've been at this for a long time. And so I've, over the years, I've accumulated some nice stuff for my go bag and my wife has a go bag. My oldest kid has a go bag, but you want to have that bag that, that, if you if you woke up at three in the morning and there was an alarm sound or a knock at the door, you had to board a bus to evacuate. You had to run. You could just grab that thing and go. And you got to change of clothes in there. You got water. You got a battery charger. You've got some first aid. You've got the means to make a fire. You have a tarp for some shelter or some improvised an improvised stretcher or any of the one other other million things you can use a tarp for. You know, you've got some cordage, like some paracord that you can use to tie to tie things up and to improvise with. So you've got these basic tools. And most of the I know a lot of people that grabbed their go bags in March and headed out of New York, headed out of Washington um, when those cities started. I think it was March when they started to empty out because of lockdowns. And they told me. They would say, you know, John, I did not use 90% of what was in my go bag, but I was glad that I had it. And that's the thing. You know, you'll have a go bag and in an emergency, you won't use 90, 95% of it, but you don't know which 10 to 5% of that go bag you're going to need. So that's kind of the basic philosophy is to have this go bag that's got enough stuff in it and it's flexible enough and it's thoughtful enough that whatever five or 10% of it that you're going to grab and you're going to actually use, you've got it there with you. Yeah. And how much, uh, you know, aside from having the right equipment, uh, you know, how much of this involves uh, kind of gaming out different scenarios? Uh, you know, I think, for example, a lot of people, they, they may have a, a spouse or kids, right? They may, you know, they, they obviously back when people still went to work in offices, they would be away from home. It, you know, kids could be at school, different points. Uh, you know, what, like, in terms of, like, strategizing, okay, what do you do if, you know, you're in a situation where your normal means of getting around and contacting people isn't available? Um, how, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Yeah. So, so there is a, in terms of gaming out scenarios uh, that go into the, there's, to me, that's two, I hear two questions there. One is the kind of scenario plan that goes into the go bag construction and selection. And uh, we, we do a lot of that, like in consultation with different experts and everything from like wilderness survival to like urban EMS and have constructed these different bag lists of different sizes and expense levels based on our kind of professional gaming out of, of, are you on a bus? Are you in a FEMA shelter? Are you in the woods? That kind of stuff. So there's a level of scenario planning and a lot of work, a lot of work uh, goes into that. In fact, that's the main value that, that we add as a site is that we're, um, we're all like able to do that and are, are good at it and have enough connections with different types of experts that we can get their input. Um, then there's a kind of family scenario planning that you're talking about where you're, you've printed up um, cards for your kids and the kids have, um, you know, something in their wallet where they've got the, 
you know, are, are also like our kids are all, they've all memorized all of our phone numbers and our addresses. And, you know, you drill the kids on what's my phone number, what's my date of birth, what's my address, what's my full name, you know, so there's that kind of stuff. Um, we do some of that. We, we have written about some of that, but I actually would say that that's an area that the site, uh, we could beef that up, um, kind of these family family scenario guides, uh, because we're, there is a lot of that out there in prepper land, but we have not quite gotten around to this kind of coordination stuff. Yeah. So, you know, one, I think, uh, of the goals, uh, of, you know, trying to be prepared for whatever is, you know, you're trying to create plans that will work e uh, in a broad range of scenarios. You don't need to anticipate exactly what is the reason why the power got knocked out, right? There's all sorts of things that could happen there. Um, but it does seem that, you know, perhaps uh, either because of uh, personality or interest or whatever, that people who are interested in this stuff are also you know, maybe a little bit more on the lookout for some specific scenarios. And I know, of course, that you were pretty early uh, on the pandemic, for example, of seeing that that something was coming. So what, uh, you know, um, do you think that uh, this sort of this sort of attitude, you know, kind of uh, is, is, is gives you an advantage in trying to like, prognosticate or, you know, how is it that you saw uh, the pandemic coming before, you know, a lot of other people and, and uh, took steps where, uh, you know, I, I remember some, I remember a tweet from a high ranking Obama administration health official uh, during the pandemic. And, you know, it was kind of like a jokey tweet about how he didn't have any toilet paper and I remember thinking, like, you know, your your job was to try and protect everybody. <laughs> and uh, you didn't know, <laughs> you know, like you didn't you didn't uh, you know have enough foresight to know that you needed toilet paper for yourself. <laughs> um, so so how are you? You know, uh, how did you how, how did you manage to see what you know, Mister uh, Credentialed Guy did not. That's a that's kind of an interesting larger question that I've been asked a couple times now, and other people that were early, like Biology Srinivasan or or Zainab Tufechi or um, some of these other folks. Matt Stoller was pretty early. Um, there have been a lot of uh, a lot of people have questioned that, and you know I've gone around and around about it. I think one, I think there's, I, I don't know if I can point to any one thing. Uh, but I will say that when I saw the cruise ship story, um, I remember thinking, well, uh, this could be it. And that wasn't the first time I had seen a story and thought, well, this could be it. That was maybe like the 80th time that I had seen a story of an outbreak on a cruise ship or guys in hazmat suits and, you know, the Congo or whatever and thought, well, this could be it. And it's that. So I think there's something in that willingness to every single time you see that story, think, well, this could be it. And, and think that in a serious way, 
um, and not kind of get tired of thinking this could be it. Because, I, you know, one takes seriously not just the Bill Gates and the World Health Organization, you know, pre-pandemic warnings that the next one's coming, to take that seriously is to is to see those stories and to think this could this will happen probably in my lifetime in in any story that looks and smells like this is it i have to take seriously that it could be it uh i also had uh really smart friends who were in um medicine and um drug development and in data science and related fields who could do, you know, exponentials and do math and had been watching Wuhan. Uh, I had a connection in Beijing and, you know, these other kinds of things. Of course, credential people have that stuff as well. Um, But I think there is a, a, there has to be a willingness to just really seriously play out the full range of scenarios in public and say, um, this is what I think the range of scenarios is. Um, I think that I'm not going to put, I didn't, I never made a prediction. I never predicted that um, the postal service would, would uh, be disrupted. I just modeled it. Um, I had a baseline scenario and like a moderately severe and an extremely severe scenario. And we, you know, we passed the extremely severe, severe one, um, you know, midsummer. Uh, so, so I just kind of modeled this stuff out and you just kind of have to be willing to model this stuff out and then to be publicly wrong. And that was also, I think, a reason why, uh, in the venture capital community, people like biology were early, uh, to, to warn of this because in VC, it's okay to be wrong. It's okay to miss most of the calls. As long as you make a few really big right calls, as long as you're in on the next, um, you know, Slack or the next Stripe or the next Google or whatever, um, you can be wrong a hundred other times that people don't see. So VCs kind of, I think, have a, a little bit of a cultural permission <clears throat> to be publicly wrong and to place bets that end up being wrong. And so I think VC Twitter was kind of valuable early on in this because a lot of them went, went long. There's a pandemic coming uh, because they, they sort of, you know, built up a useful set of heuristics and a mental model, and then we're willing to to put some reputation on the line to make that call. Right. And, you know, some situations are kind of like negative uh, Russian roulette where the costs of being wrong are a lot different <laughs> depending on which way you're wrong. Um, let me ask you, uh, and, you know, if you don't, if you don't want to get into this uh, we don't have to, but you know, you did mention earlier election-related violence, and we have seen, you know, we had the uh, there was an incident at the Capitol uh, uh, earlier this week on Wednesday when they were doing the the vote count, and there have been, you know, there have been some other incidents. Um, I think there was like a group in. Michigan that was arrested that may or may not have been plotting to like try and kidnap the governor or other things. Uh, I know that this is something that you have been kind of monitoring over time is like, you know, uh, the prospects for like civil unrest and kind of, you know, organized political violence that the, those sorts of risks. Um, what, what is your kind of 
overall perspective on that and where we are as a nation, if you have one. Yeah, I do. Um, I, I think that basically what, what I tell people when, when people, friends and family ask me about this, I don't, this is actually, and I'll tell you, this is part, part of my secret sauce um, in terms of prognosticating. I don't have like a different line for, you know, my twin sister or my parents than I do on Twitter or wherever else. Um, I just kind of always pretty much tell people what is top of mind at the moment. So, um, so when I, uh, when I'm asked about this lately, you know, my, my thinking is that this is going to get worse. Um, but it'll get worse in some pretty specific ways. And I've, I've actually been saying this for a while. Um, I think it'll have certain characteristics, which is um, it will uh, it will have contagion characteristics. You'll be in a place that is perfectly fine, and then um, you know there will be a bomb, or there'll be a riot, or something like this. So, sort of like maybe the the troubles in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think this is a thing that's going to happen, um, and it's happening. You know, I think that that we have a a really serious and fundamental legitimation crisis. It's tied to inequality. Um, it's tied to concentration of power. Um, it's tied to these cultural and demographic shifts. There are a lot of a lot of things baked into this cake, but but we're seeing the um, the ability of everyone to participate in something like uh, a to recognize at least something like a central narrative of like who we are and where we're from and where we're going, that is, is I think kind of gone for now. And it, it used to be, yeah, not every, everybody had their own version of, of the story of the day or of the story of the country, but you could at least locate what the official version was. I don't even think we can locate the official version of, of, of almost anything that's happening right now. Uh, And there are different, social media mediated reasons why that probably is, but <laughs> we have a kind of a, um, a larger epistemic breakdown and, you know, this is layered in with inequality and with the pandemic. My feeling on the pandemic is that it was an accelerant for a set of things that were already, you know, however many years out, it just kind of sped them up. Um, it just put pressure on a system and on systems that were already fragile and caused them to crack. So I guess my, my high level is that we have not yet seen all the effects of the, the, uh, the set of dramatic social experiments that we've carried out uh, in the name of controlling the spread of this, um, the lockdowns, the job losses, and just also, again, the spectacle and the optics of, of some rules for thee, but not for me um, from our elites. Uh, we haven't seen that. We have not yet seen what the virus itself is truly capable of. We have not yet seen bodies stack to the degree that they are going to stack and that they are in the process of stacking. That, you know, even the people that that have died already are weeks out from being recorded and from making it into the official stats. Right. So so we don't even know. We're like we're watching this thing. This the is this like looking at a distant star, this pandemic. Um, by every metric except for like current hospital occupancy, 
you're looking at data that is days are like, you know, th- that was that was generated days or weeks ago. So, you know, we can't even see for the most part what's going on now. So we haven't seen the, the full impact of that. And, you know, this is a complex system that's under strain. Things are going to pop. Things are going to snap. Um, holes are going to open. And we'll see more of this kind of stuff, you know. So and, and it'll it'll come up in different it'll bubble up in different places. You may be in some random place um, and there could be some unrest. There could be a riot. There could be a shooting. There could be an explosion um, or you may escape relatively unscathed. Um, I, I started reading a, a book called The Logic of Violence and Civil War, and it's a sociological study. And they talk oh. about the the author of that book it's called the logic of violence and civil war it's cambridge cambridge studies um right. um in Kai, uh, i don't i'm gonna butcher the name and in the opener um the author just talks about how hard it is to to get a handle in in things like the spanish civil war where you've got like one village with the same demographic as enough demographics and make, and makeup as another village, like, you know, a few miles over and one sees like a, a, a couple of massacres and the other, it's like nothing happened, you know? So it's really hard to predict locally. Um, is Georgetown, Texas going to see something nasty? Um, is, you know, your neighborhood in Austin going to see something nasty? But globally, I think one can can safely say that there will be more uh, of this type of activity. You know, the thing that we saw on the sixth that was uh, um, that was kind of like a pretty dramatic psychic type of event. You know, it's like it it revealed a lot of weaknesses in some areas, and you know, it revealed the strengths of some of some of the um, you know, I guess you could call it a nation nascent insurgency. And, you know, their ripple effects and shifts from that will play out. So I'm, I am pretty concerned. Yeah. And it, uh, it looks like the, the author is Stathis Kalivas. I don't know how you pronounce that exactly. Uh, K-A-L-Y-V-A-S, if anyone is interested in that. Um, okay. So just as a closer, we often ask our guests to... Uh, give us their favorite movie or TV show that relates to the topic of the conversation. So uh, in that regard, do you have a a favorite disaster movie or a movie that relates to, you know, uh, disruption situations? Yeah, you know, I do. Um, Mine is weirdly enough uh, the leftovers that HBO series. Did you did you ever watch that? That's the it's like the uh, the rapture happens. Yeah, or yeah. And and what I liked about the leftovers is you know only like what one percent or something of the population suddenly disappeared, <laughs> but but it these it was a post apocalyptic world where. Um, most things still worked. Like you could still go and buy groceries and gas and, you know, kids still went to school, but people were lost because some kind of organizing principle of reality had, had been broken for them, had been taken from them. 
And they kind of no longer believed that the universe was ordered the way that, that it was. It was like sort of suddenly, um, it was a sudden crisis. And I, I really thought about that in November of 2016 after Trump won, because I felt like a lot, like there was a similar kind of, um, kind of, uh, spiritual and, and conceptual crisis that happened amongst a lot of my peers where they just didn't think the world worked this way, where that guy would be the president that wasn't in their model of the universe and like the laws of gravity and whatever. And then this did in fact happen. And so people kind of wander around and try to make sense of it, um, of this, of this thing that, that has sort of broken their reality. And it has all kind of weird effects. If you watch the show, there are different movements that crop up and there's, you know, some people, you know, drift into nihilism and some people into hope and, and, and so on and so forth. But it's a story about, um, it's, it's a post-apocalyptic story where the lights are still on. And that kind of fits to me with my sense of, of disaster and of catastrophe. Uh, the lights of civilization, they don't really go off. This walking dead stuff um, and the road and all that, I don't believe in any of that. You know, I believe that, that when you can have a, an event like what we saw on the 6th, you can have an event like what we saw when Trump was sworn in. That's like, this does not compute. This is, I, I, I can't be looking at this. I can't believe that this guy in a, in a horned fur outfit is sitting in the of the, like, that doesn't make any sense. It makes as little sense as 1% of the population disappearing overnight. And, you know, those things happen periodically um, to us as humans. And those are little mini apocalypses, um, uh, which the, the meaning of apocalypse is, is an uncovering. They're, uh, they're little unveilings um, and they're a shift in the way that people think. And when those moments happen, um, it opens up a wider space of possibility for both good and for bad. Yeah, I, I will say I, I did have the thought as I was looking at some of those images that, you know, if you had uh, a year ago shown me those pictures, uh, you know, and told me that's what like, w- w- you know, the U.S. Capitol was going to look like on January 6th, 2021, I would have assumed that the lights were out, you know, or that there had been some sort of, you know, uh, major, major uh uh, zombie apocalypse, uh, or, you know, disruption type of thing. So I, I guess it is good to keep perspective in a way, uh, about different sorts of things that can coexist at the same time. Okay. Uh, so our guest today has been John Stokes. John, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 